Most often, the brightest smiles come from those who've struggled the most. What's behind your smile? Let's open up and talk about what's really going on behind the smile. And sometimes it's okay to fake it until we make it. I'm Bonnie Woodrick. Join me to gain insight on how many of us hide behind the smile to get through painful and difficult times. My podcast is a safe place where others can share their stories and discuss how opening up rather than hiding behind a smile allows for growth and happiness. We are excited to be joined by Ben Aaron, media personality who began his career at 18 years old on Radio Disney. Ben has impressively won three Emmys for his work as a feature reporter, has had two nationally syndicated TV shows, Crazy Talk, and the talk show Pickler and Ben with country artist Kelly Pickler. Ben can currently be seen on New York's WPIX-TV and his social media platforms. Ben and his wife Ginger have two boys, Adrian and Miles, who seem to be following their parents' footsteps of being very entertaining behind the camera. So, Ben, I have just had such a pleasure getting to know you a little bit and learning more about you and following you on your social media platforms. But you started in radio, I believe, at a really young age. Yes. And tell us about that. Oh, goodness. I started actually making like stupid videos with my friends when I was like nine in the basement and with my like their dad's video camera. And we just did like parodies of music videos and constipation commercials and whatever disgusting things that 10 year olds did. And then um, I snuck on. Yeah, I snuck on a radio station when I was 18. I wasn't supposed to. And I did, and I convinced the guy to give me a show, and he let me have a show every other Tuesday night. It was like my dream. It was like the greatest thing I've ever done because I started DJing when I was 13, like doing parties and stuff, and I always would make mixtapes for my friends, and I wanted to be on. I just loved – everyone hates the sound of their own voice. Like I loved – I was such a narcissist. Still am. (laughs) I just loved the sound of my own voice. And then I I just – I started doing radio, and I fell madly in love with radio. And, yeah, and I was was 18 years old in Storrs, Connecticut, population – us like yeah. it was just pop- that's it this is the entire town of stores and it was magical like my dad came on and would visit and he would come on the radio with me and we would do stupid things and it was so much fun like it was just a, it was the best it was like no rules in you know 1999 or something like that and how great that you can kind of sneak on and find your passion. Yes, I I was I was tenacious. I was pretty uh, unbelievably annoying, I would say, to the people. Like when I wanted to get somewhere with radio or TV, I was always very like cuz at the time I didn't have kids, I didn't have any friends, so I just all I did was be like, "Hey, have you listened to my mixtape yet? Have you listened if you listened, have you listened to my demo?" And they were like, "Okay, just we'll give you the slot. Just stop talking to us." I'm like, "Great. That's all. <laughs> great. Wonderful. Amazing. That's what uh, mission accomplished." So, I I think it uh, being and being persistent and annoying was really a, a a gift at that point. So then, did that radio gig with the population of two people in the city? Did that go into deeper, like Radio Disney? Oh yeah. Well, the town population was two. My viewership, primarily, which I learned re- very quickly, were male prisoners at the local <laughs> prison that would tune into my show and I was and I would get like letters because we didn't have like you know we'd have Instagram back then back in the olden days so I would find out very quickly that our viewership our listenership were um, inmates which was fun um, but yeah no so I, that was one year of college there and then I didn't want to be at UConn anymore, so I came home back to New York City I was applying to colleges left and right I was getting rejected from every single college and 
I started interning for PLJ, which is a local New York radio station, and then Radio Disney, which is also Radio Disney. And then I started working at a magazine at the same time and at a bar simultaneously. So I had four jobs. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take the year and a half off. And I did all these things. And I wasn't going to go back to college because I was I was Jester Ben on Radio Disney. I was hosting concerts for like Dream Street. Like it was a point. It was like the... It was the golden age of boy bands. It was the golden age where every single, every parent that had a set of twins, they're like, you're a band. You're called Double Impact. <laughs> like, oh, you both have blonde hair. You're called Blondie's friend. Like, you're called something, you know. It, it just any gimmicky group of people were a band, were a boy band or a girl band or some kind of weird, funny pop culture, pop thing. So I'd host these concerts in malls or whatever. And and it was so much fun because I would be on the, like they, the band would be late. They'd be on the Long Island Expressway in traffic and I'd have to stall for three hours at a mall in front of a thousand screaming kids. And I'd be playing games and goofing off. And it taught me like, don't stop, just keep going. I filled three hours and the band would finally show up and I'd pass out behind the stage. I was going to say, that sounds exhausting. Yeah. Even at a young age. But but you would be on such a high that the adrenaline, I had so much energy back then that I you would be on such a high. It was so much fun because... You know, I think about it. I was I was scared because I wasn't going back to college and all my friends were going back to college. And I was like, this is not normal. I'm going to be a failure like this is bad. And then when I was doing those things, I was I was like, why? Why would I ever go back to college like this is I'm doing things that I wanted to do. I, this is my dream is to work for radio. And then at the same time, I would run to my other job. I'd rip off my Radio Disney clothes. I put on my regular clothes and I would work at a magazine five days a week. I'd be interning. And then they were like, oh, you want to write articles? We won't pay you. But you can write articles and you can get the byline and you can, that's it. I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. So I'd be writing articles for them. And then I'd run to the bar and I'd rip off my clothes and I'd put on my bar stuff and I'd work till 5 a.m. at a bar. So the amount of stimulation I was getting in those year and a half was, I was like, there's no reason to go back to college. Of course I did, but that was the, the biggest lessons in life was sometimes you get flipped a weird coin with with your whatever your, your goal or, or path is. And you embrace it and you wake at work. That's something that that really had an effect on my life was that year and a half of just doing irreverent, weird things. But it's really amazing how things just happen to work out. Yeah. You know, because before college, all of those opportunities and experience that you got obviously became very valuable to you later on after you did finish college. Yes. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, it made me feel, in a weird, narcissistic way, special. It made me feel, you know, that I I had this strange education from that year and a half of working in the industry that when I went back to college, I went back to a place called Emerson, which was a great college. Once I went back to that college, I was like, I have all these tools in my tool belt because I've written for magazines. I've worked for radio stations in the biggest market in the country, and I have all these wonderful situations it gave me more confidence that when I went to Emerson, I was like, let's rock and roll. I'm, I'm hitting the ground running here. I'm not going to wait. And I didn't. And I, we had a, a lot of fun. So you, you've mentioned narcissistic Yep. I'm traits. the poster child. Okay. But I don't feel like you're narcissistic in a negative way because I think that sometimes when we write about ourselves, it can be positive because you use it in a positive way to make other people laugh, to entertain people. Because I think when I think of narcissism, I think of that person that's gaslighting. I think of that person that's like making you feel less than mm-hmm. them. But you're not that person. There's different different versions of narcissism. I think the majority of people that are on television or radio are narcissists. I think that has a negative connotation, unfortunately. But it's, it's true. I mean, we all 
we all have this. I mean, maybe it's va- vanity, less more, more vanity and less narcissism. But it's true. It's like we 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 are on television. Many of us like it, very few people are on television that truly hate to see themselves on television. I know, like Letterman hated watching his stuff, but I have to believe that there's some part of Letterman that was like. God, I love myself on TV. Like, I'm good. I'm <laughs> well, really good. Because at that point, you've made it. Yeah. You know, at that point, you've made it right. Now, I look at it like I'm on local TV, right? Which is great. And, I love that. Me too. Yeah. Well, you're like a big audience. And I look at like local TV and I'm kind of always like, I don't like to be on that because I feel like people are like, there she is again. I love it. There she is again. So that's, you know, inspiring because that's where we should be. And when it's done for good, and it's also a part of building our platform. Yeah. You know, because we have to build our platform in order, you know, for me to make a difference, for me to be able to share my story and and talk to interesting, funny people like you. But the unfortunate thing is with our platforms, you know, you do these things for the right reasons and then you post them on social media and then they become, you dive into the wrong reasons. Like you can't help but count the views. You can't help but see how many comments you're getting. It's like a drug. And then if your comments aren't as many as the last video, you're like, oh, something went wrong. I didn't, that video, and you can't help but do that. No matter how pure the intentions are for the video, I just want to make people laugh. I just want to make people happy. I just want to educate people. It's hard to avoid oh man that didn't get as many views as the last one what went wrong here what did i do wrong i need to do let's go back to what we did before and it's like no 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 just go just do what you feel is the right thing to do it's very hard not to care what people think about you that is so true it stinks it's a horrible byproduct of it it is it's almost like a yin and a yang or dr jacqueline massara kind of thing you know because yeah, you've got to put yourself out there, but then that's uh, like, and I do that myself. I'm like, oh, that only got, I know. you know, this many, you know, and we're still in the hundreds. We're not like in the thousands, but, you know, I mean, we're growing, but we still pay attention and we still look. It's unfortunate that we have, that we feel as though we have to. I wish we didn't. I wish we could just throw it out there. Right. And then you wonder like, oh, I'm going to have Ben Aaron on. How how many views is he going to get? Not how many lot. people are going Nothing. to? This will be no, your lowest. It will not. Lowest. Don't say that. No, it will be. It will be. Don't I mean, say that because I think that um, one of the reasons that I discovered you, you know, obviously your wife Ginger was with I Understand and she spoke at an event, but right. you were in town because she's local. Grand Rapids, yep. Rockford area, same as me, same as, same as Kim who works for us. So, um, and you were in a local Meyer store and it was like your first walk into Meyer. Yep. Ginger was shopping for charcuterie items. Yeah. And as she does. That video, the tour, tour yeah, of Meyer, that got, I think, the most likes at any Meyer. So that should have made you feel good. It was funny. It was funny because it did represent like how important. Like it's a it's a local topic, and that's why I love local so much. Is because it is it's the stuff that's down the street from you. You don't have to talk about J Lo and Ben Affleck. You could talk about this new gas station that opened up down the street, and that's why I was my wife and I both have such a passion for local. But yes, I went in there today again, and I was like, I just don't understand why there's four thousand butters <laughs> and seven hundred different types of cheese. There's not even different types of cheese. It's the same type of cheese, but different companies of the cheese. I couldn't find olives. I've spent 45 minutes looking for olives in Meyer. Couldn't find them. Well, why didn't you ask somebody for help? Somebody would have helped you to that product. Um, and I have an answer to that. And what is it? They're too nice. They will fo- They will come, they will leave their station <laughs> and join you and go up and down the aisles with you. And I'm like, I feel terrible. I can't do that. They're so nice. It's so weird how nice people are 
in this area. I was, again, I was there in Meyer today, and this woman was coming in a wheelchair, and I came around, and I moved my cart out of the way so she could get her wheelchair through, and she looked at me and goes, that was so kind. Thank you. I'm like, what else am I supposed to do? <laughs> just leave you there? Like, I know. Good luck. Well, probably some people have. That's the worst. Like, yeah, what are you supposed to do? Like, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, that video at, at Meyer and that really- oh, it was amazing. Yeah, but what that made me do was it really made me start following you on- on social media and watching your videos. And I said this to Ginger when when she was here with me, you bring sunshine to people. I mean, she's the meteorologist, she forecasts, and you bring that sunshine of laughter and you make us laugh and you have like no boundaries to what you will put yourself in, what you, how (laughs) much of your body you will show. That's true. What you will wear. Yep. And I just find that so especially now, Mm. today, it's what we need. We need those moments, right? It's like I could be feeling down and I'll just like, you know, I'm going to see what Ben put up today. That's very kind. Yeah, you know? thank you. And it's not me being kind, it's me being honest. Thank you. And I appreciate that. Well, and thank you for being honest. Yeah, I try to be. Yeah. Um, but the last time when I had Ginger here, I, I, I talked about this and for some reason it wasn't put in, but I'm going to bring it up again. But I look at like you and, and Ginger being that breath of fresh air, mm. that funny, that relief. And I see you as the Sonny and Cher of today. Oh. But I see- Can I be Cher? I was going to say, you're Cher <laughs> and she's Sonny. I have been we, Cher for Halloween. Yeah. It is a spitting. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> accurate. So so I feel like, you know, that, that wholesome family show with your boys and making people laugh and us, you know, having to kind of revisit family and being at home more, all the negative things about COVID that happened. But I think that the positive things are is when we can spend time with our family and and the amount of time that you were able to have Ginger home. That's the positive. Yeah. Although I always say, and people always, they ask us like, what's, what's it like when Ginger, because she's now, she's back traveling every week. And I say the, the keto happy marriage is separation. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It's like yeah. she's she. I, I remember my boss, my first paid TV gig, would travel all the time, and he had the best marriage. I'm like, how the heck do you do it? And he, how do you how do you keep it so happy? And he's like, because I'm when I'm there, we are a hundred percent with each other. And that's the same with Ginger. When she's home, it's a hundred percent us, hundred percent the kids. That's it. We don't go out. We don't. I don't have friends that I go watch sports with or anything. We are with each other 100%, and we appreciate every second. And it started when we first started dating because she would have a bag packed at all time. So we'd be out eating Italian food, and she'd be like, oh, I got to go, tornado. So every time she was with me in front of me, I'm like, I have to appreciate every second. And that's what I do is we have to soak up every single second. And I even do it with the kids and you know, because I was traveling for a while too, and, and it's every single moment together is has to be appreciated. And that's something I'm insanely focused on. I can really appreciate that, and I only wish more people would be. Well, they don't have a traveling person. If we were on each other all the time, we'd probably be like, oh, thank you Right, but I, like, my husband also, my late husband traveled for work, and, you know, I actually really enjoyed, like, three days of him gone. Right. Like, more than three, you know, it got a little, mm. It's sad. But it was really good for us when he had those three days, and then you come home, and it's like you appreciate them yep. more and, yeah. and all of that. So recognizing that, I think, is is really, really important. Mind you, I, I ache with like sadness when she's gone like I hate when she's gone it, and that's she doesn't feel that way she's fine she's doing her thing she's very but, but I, I get like and I hate showing it to her because my dad used to do it to me too my dad used to give me like guilt when I would have to like go away for work or something like that because he'd miss me and it's the same thing with her like I, I, I when she's going away I try to be like okay well okay okay that sounds good three days alright okay four days you're gonna be where okay okay sounds good well good luck okay have a good time and inside I'm like oh god this sucks because Aww. she's my you know she, yeah. I don't I don't 
don't. She's the only want to spend time with her, and the boys are the only ones I want to spend time with all the time. Uh, well, that's why I'm so glad you're here with me. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I just, know because it's hard. I know, and it's vacation time I'm for away. you guys. I know. I, I, I had to cry in the parking lot. Oh my I, gosh, the, the so you're gonna make me cry, but <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna probably cry when I share this with you too, because I think that. One um, thing that Ginger was talking about when I asked her about you and the kids and, and her struggles and abusive relationships that she has been in in the past. And, and she said, I didn't know love until I met Ben. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me like cry. Yeah. That like is very, very telling. It's sad too, though. I mean, it, it makes me feel terrible that, you know, I, I, that she never was able to experience this, that she put herself in those abusive relationships. Or she didn't put herself, but she was experiencing those abusive relationships. I mean, there's there are things that I, that she tells me and knowing her now and loving her the way I do. And it, it like she has a new book coming out, which we're apparently not allowed to talk about. But there's a lot of really intense, heavy stuff. And I had to like punch a wall after I read it because it made me so angry that A, someone I loved had to go through that stuff. And B, I was not there to help her. So when she was in these circumstances of pain and sadness and darkness, all I wanted to do was just wrap my arms around her. And I remember calling my mom. I was in traffic driving home. And I was just bawling hysterically. I'm like, I couldn't, I can't help her. I couldn't have helped her. I didn't know she was in trouble and I couldn't have helped her. And it it breaks my heart. And it's, you know, if the last thing I could say about the new book, which I, which I shouldn't be talking about, but is I hope that's what people come out of it reading her new book is saying, I want to help the people that need the help right now before it is too late. And while I'm in their lives and while I can, I want that, I want to help them. And, um, because I just, I mean, I, I, I had so many weird emotions. I don't know how we got on this topic. You know, it was me <laughs> sharing about how, like, Ginger didn't know love oh, no, until love, she right, found yeah. you. And I'll repeat that again. You know, did you just right. need to hear that again? No, yeah, I did. I yeah. did. It's like, how do I look? Good. Yeah. Great. How do yeah. I look? Great. Good. <laughs> it's the same with me. I dated a lot in my life, but I never, I was never in love. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I always knew, I always had, I was like, I was almost like these pent up ideas and emotions and everything that I wanted to, to do for the person that I would finally fall in love with. And so she is reaping that kind of in a weird way is that I always wanted to get married. I was never a serial dater. I was never a guy that dated more than one girl. I couldn't do it. Um, so th- when when I finally fell in love with Ginger, I wanted all the things, all the ideas, all the songs I wanted to listen to. Everything was for her. It just kind of flooded. Mind you, you know, we have problems. I don't want this to sound like this, no, this, this is a walk do. in the park. No, 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 no. We all do and every relationship does. But I think that the beauty of it is that you're able to share it and yeah. you're able to have other people listen to that because I listen to it and my heart just melts because that's such a beautiful beautiful thing because so many people don't ever experience things like that. It sucks. It sucks. It really, really does it's suck. It's awful. Yeah. And it is awful. But the whole point is, is that I feel like I'm just seeing this whole other side to you. And sometimes in your videos, I am able to see the little glimpse that you might share of that person deep right. down that you are. Right. And you just exposed who you are deep down by the way you just talked about Ginger. Yes. And I think that is beautiful and great and that's kind of what's behind your smile a little bit, right? Yeah, but it is, you know, it's tricky because my work is so positive and it is so like, hey, smile, dance, have fun, 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 fun. There is a dark side to that as well. Then it's very hard to be sunshine and happiness all the time because I, I mean, I am the first one to admit that I have the utmost compassion for people. I mean, they break my heart on a daily basis, especially in New York City. You're walking past somebody who has cerebral palsy or you have somebody who's who's having issues or whatever. They just look sad and it breaks your heart. But on the flip side, I have such disdain for 
people on this earth that don't have that, that are evil. And I just, I have no gray area when it comes to human beings. I love you or I loathe you. That's it. There's no, and it's, that's a hard position to be in. I come from a, a very passionate person. I am a very passionate person. And my, my mother and father are both like that. I mean, they're Brooklyn men and women, and they were just born with just yes or no, and that's it. You'll never be like, oh, how is that person? They're all right. Like, Vani is a fabulous person. You're not an okay person. You're a fabulous person. <laughs> I will never say you're, I, will, I, I don't really, I, it's either like, I, you're gone, I don't want to ever see you again, or I think you're the world. Well, I, I like, feel so honored right now. I think I need to hang out with you more often. Dave? I think that you could just bring so much positivity, which you do on a daily basis. But I want to ask you this. So, you know, when I think of you and the humor and the funny that you are, and I think of Robin Williams, right? Yeah. Watching that and watching and knowing that his laughter, you know, that's what everybody saw. He was always up. And, you know, for me, working in the mental health arena, it's like, I know that you can be that high up, but Mm. when you go low... You can go that yeah. that low. Do you experience those roller coasters of that high to that low? Uh, I don't. I used to when I was in the throes of OCD because I was I was like severely OCD for twenty five years. I would say like blood dripping down my body, standing at a light switch for six hours. Um, that that was the point where I was in public fun games and then when I was alone I was trapped in this horrible place. Now I've I've learned to cope with it in a weird way. Um my my old boss used to call me the saddest clown. He used to call me he used to call me smiley. Oh, like, you know, that makes me think of Smokey Robinson and Tears from a Clown. Yeah, Tears from a Clown. Because yeah. that's like, you know, like you listen to that song and it's one of my favorites it's a great because song. I feel like Smokey was ahead of his time because he's talking about the sadness of a clown, but yet the music is so happy. You just want to, yeah. Yeah. It's a great song. Um, So that's kind of what that just reminded me of right there. My intensity with my work, because my stuff, you put my stuff on, it's like, oh, it's just you just running around, but there's hours of work that go into each, and I do all the work myself. I do all the editing. I do everything myself. So it's, that is the intense, that's where my, any darkness or intensity comes from now is that. But, you know, I I remember just meeting a bunch of, of comedians and, and talking about Will Farrell, and Will Farrell's a guy that apparently like just goes home and is happy guy. There's no darkness to him. Whereas the, you hear all these comedians have this dark side to them, which is so sad. Um, my only darkness comes with just wanting this segment to be great and being really anal retentive about everything and the intensity of the work. Before the OCD stuff took over my life, that was awful. That was a that was a demon I could not conquer, and I was getting my butt kicked like it was beating me to bits. I remember having a, a conversation with you about your OCD, I think it was a couple of years ago now, and you said that you never sought treatment or no. you never, so how did you know you had OCD and then how did you finally, I mean, I guess maintain it? It's an interesting question because I didn't know, because, you know, it was before the internet where I could be like, why am I doing these things? And now you can look on anything and, and it's, it's apparent. I started when I was seven when my parents got divorced. It was almost like a weird fantasy land. Like you create a world for yourself that's OCD. And I thought I was just special. I thought I was getting like, this. the reason I was touching these things twice is because I knew something that no one else did and I was special, which in a weird way kept me focused and also drove me to think that, you know, you convince yourself that you're something that you're really not. You end up becoming something somewhat special, I think. Um, I don't think it was until my like mid to late 20s that I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm... 
I'm OCD, but part of my OCD was not talking about it. So it's like Fight Club. Like rule number one is you don't tell anybody that you're OCD. You don't talk about it. Somebody brings it up. Everybody saw it. I mean, I was I was doing the craziest rituals known to man, and everyone, like it's hard not to. Strangers were walking down the street. Like if I pass somebody and I tap them by accident, I would have to run back and find them, and then somehow tap them again without them knowing. It's the weirdest thing. I mean, it was the strangest stuff. So people knew what I, that I was doing weird stuff. They just didn't know what it was necessarily. My parents saw it all the time. My parents had weird ways of handling it. My mom would, would make – she didn't know what it was, so she'd, like, make fun of me. My sister would make fun of me. Um, my dad was just like, oh, it's just him being quirky and weird. But there's a depth and a darkness to it that is so awful. I don't wish it on anybody. Um, and then to deal with it. It was so strange. The first time I ever was able to deal with it, I remember I was like, I was probably 11. And when I'd walk to the school bus, if I stepped on a piece of like old gum on the street, it turns into like that black circle. If I stepped on a piece of that, I'd have to find it again and step it on again. And then one time, and I would spend like, I would miss the bus constantly because I was just doing this. And one time I walked by the thing and I, and I had to step on a piece of gum and I looked back and I was like, oh gosh, which piece of gum was that? And then I realized that you never actually, this is so in-depth, but you never actually touch the same thing twice, even if you think you are, because there's different angles, there's different, the wind blows, something, whatever it is, it's never exactly the same. And so I convinced myself that you will never touch the same thing twice. And that released me from ever touching the same thing twice ever again. Wow. So it's almost just like your own mind was you telling are. your mind right. what to do. You, it's the most unhealthy way to handle this. I should have gotten treatment. But I, again, I didn't know what I had. Right. And my parents didn't want to admit that I had something wrong with me or, yeah. or something going on with me. Right. Um, so that was the metaphor for my – and then – I went to college, and it came back harder than it ever had been again. And so I had to retrain my brain to do that again. And what I did to finally maintain it, which is – it's still apparent now, but it's much, much better um, – is I had to convince myself that if i not OCD, like if you're OCD and you touch things twice, good things will happen. It's all good luck. It's all like I just want good luck. And my left side would be like scholastics and my right side would be like dating and girls. So if I held a lot of bags in my left hand, I'd do well on a test. If I held on my right, I'd hook up with a bunch of girls or date a bunch of girls, whatever it is. You know, I'd, I'd do well socially. I'd made like lots of friends, whatever. It was so weird. Um, so I had to convince myself like, oh, if you do that, good things happen. But if you don't do that, even better things will happen. So I had to like, it was, it was like weird. Yeah. Well, I like that you say that you kind of had to retrain your brain because I think that anyone that can struggle with some mental health illness or anxiety, depression, OCD, retraining your brain is possible. Yeah. And, and you, convincing yourself. You almost have to, you're, my OCD now is to not have OCD. If I show signs of OCD, I have to, st I stop immediately because that's my OCD is not having OCD. It's so twisted and so unhealthy and if anybody has OCD out there please don't do anything and I'm like talk to somebody because it's the worst way to handle it and I went through so much pain and anger and blood literally blood and sweat and crying and screaming and at, I mean I was like if anybody ever heard me in my apartment screaming the way I did they'd be like what the hell's going on in yeah, there they probably did they're probably like, oh, they my God, did. he's a blast. Yeah. I want to hang out with that guy. Yeah, and I think that you brought up an important topic, right? I mean, we need to make sure that if you're struggling, you know, to reach out and to ask yeah. for help. And I think that the stigma stops us from doing that. By you sharing, I mean, we're reducing that and we're eliminating that. You go to a trainer. You go to the trainer at yeah. the gym. It's the same exact thing. It's a mind trainer. Yeah. It's the same exact thing. So you correlated it back to seven years old with your parents' divorce. Yeah. What was it about the divorce that 
what what triggered that? It was Do you remember? Of, yeah, oh yeah. Um, I mean, talking to my wife now, since she is such a study of of psychology at this point, um, it was it was total loss of control. And she's actually the only person I was able to. T- she was the only person I was able to talk about my OCD with. I never talked about it with anybody. Um, so I felt when once that door was opened, so much, so much was understood because we were able to con- talk about it and 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 get to the bottom of a lot of things. Um, but it was a lack of control. I, I lost control. My my dad was 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 he wasn't he didn't leave. I mean, my dad was always present in my life. Very much so. Too much so, actually, I would say. Um, my mother, same thing. We always had great relationships, but things changed. He was in his apartment. My mom was here. There was money troubles. Um, they were dating. My mom was upset about that, all that other stuff. So there's a lot that was going on for a seven-year-old to take. I needed to grab on. I was falling, and I needed to grab onto a rope, and this rope was this right here. Some people do, you know, some people obtain some kind of religion or some something, whatever it is. Mine was this OCD stuff. That you controlled. I it mean, my, I know yeah. people that have developed eating disorders the same way or substance Ginger. abuse. Ginger had an eating disorder because of that. It's the same exact thing, which I never knew eating disorders were control-based. Some. I don't know if it's everyone, but I know Ginger's particular one was control-based. I didn't realize that it was that. I, I, did, I thought it was purely for looks-wise, it's how much I knew, um, which is not a lot. But No, but I think that that just validates the importance of the power of sharing your story. Yeah. And not only unleashing your truth to help you, but allowing that, your truth helping somebody else. Yeah. And that's what, that's what it's all about. And that's huge. And that is something that I wanted to so badly is I look at these kids that are going through this and I and I talked about OCD openly on social media for the first time and I had all these messages and they're like my daughter's going through this what do I do and I'm like I don't know what to do I just know that you need to we you we need to help I will do whatever I can but you got to help her you have to and you have to help your son you have to help your brother you have to help your coworker whoever it is that's going through this misery you got to find a way to help them you can't just let them do it on their own you have to be there for them it's so- so scary, but yeah. you know what? I think like for me, I found like I felt so alone mm-hmm. until I shared my story, and then yeah. all of a sudden, I felt like I had like this army behind me, these right. troops, and so, so you build on that, and then you create your own community of it. Yes, and it's a, the ultimate example of expression of vulnerability, and that's really hard for people to be vulnerable and honest, and that's one thing with therapy that Ginger and I always talk about is you have to be crazy honest with your therapist, and I have family members that are in therapy but I don't think they're honest with their therapist and it's not working. You have to be brutally honest with them. And I think that's in, in general, you just have to be brutally honest. I really appreciate you opening up and sharing that on your social media because I think now you're experiencing maybe what Ginger has with her book and her platform of talking about mental health. So, so thank you. Vani, thank you. Thank you for having me. Such a fun and meaningful conversation with Ben. I admire his love and dedication to his family followed by the tenacity he displayed in his youth to land his first radio job, leading to where he is today. The self-awareness Ben shows in his battle with OCD is inspiring. If you're struggling with obsessive-compulsive disorder, email support at calm.com. Thank you to our community partner, Big B Coffee. Don't forget to buy one, give one to start the conversation. And special thanks to Stuart Poltrock and Soundpost Studios for making us sound so good. 